Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Remember, you can download the Doctor's Cushion app for free to get access to all of our recipes with some specific suggestions tailored to your health needs and new recipes added every month. And if you want to watch this episode on YouTube, it is one of the best ways to support the podcast. Just go to YouTube and type in Doctor's Kitchen and you'll see my smiley face as I talk about everything to do with organic pesticides and how you can protect your health by lowering your body burden and subscribe to the eat listen read newsletter that i share every single week where i send you recipes to cook as well as some mindfully curated media to help you have a healthier happier week and by virtue of signing up to the newsletter you also get seasonal sundays one of my personal favorites we do a deep dive into ingredients every single week that's seasonal healthy and have all the historical nuggets of wisdom attached to it as well people absolutely dig it on to the podcast before we get started here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Is organic food worth it? And should you opt for organic food every time you go to the supermarket? That is going to be the topic of today's conversation. I'm also going to go through the basics of what a pesticide is, why we should be aiming to reduce our exposure to them and practical shopping tips, including the types of ingredients that I tend to opt for organic when I'm shopping for my weekly meals. Before we get started, I want to give you the five takeaways right at the top of this podcast. Number one, don't sweat it. The first thing that you want to be thinking about is diversity of your ingredients because more plants, 
rather than conventional versus organic has a lot more evidence for it. So rather than focusing on the detrimental impact of eating non-organic, I want you to always think about more plants, more diversity, and the basics of healthy eating before we get into the weeds of actually organic versus conventional, even though it is a very important topic. Number two, reducing pesticides is, underline, important for human and environmental health. I don't want to discount that at all. Third, if you can make small swaps to organic foods, prioritize those foods that you tend to consume more of. And generally, this includes things like citrus fruits, grapes, berries, and some types of greens as well. To reduce the cost, I would start with the staples as well. So grains and and other carbohydrates that we'll talk about. And I think the last thing is, this can't be something that we have to put on ourselves solely. We've got to be supporting wider organizations that are pushing for more policy changes that allow what's in our food to become a lot more healthful for us, a lot more transparent and a lot better for environmental health as well. And stick around to the end of the podcast because I'm going to talk to you about why everything I say for the next few minutes or so, probably more than a few minutes, could be complete BS. So I want to call myself out because we're working with dirty data and limitations of which I will be very, very transparent about right at the at the bottom of this podcast. And before you listen to anyone else talking about why you should never eat conventional food or you should always go for organic, just remember the limitations that I'm going to do right at the at the bottom of this podcast. So let's start with the basics. Pesticides. What is a pesticide. So a pesticide is a chemical substance or biological agent that's used to control or repel or kill or manage pests. And pests, you know, most people think about uh, rats or rodents when they think about pests, but it can also include things like weeds, fungi, bacteria, viruses, aphids, other organisms that can be harmful to the growth of a crop that you're trying to optimize. The perfect pesticide would be an agent that is inert to non-target, i.e. us. So things like um, uh, obviously uh, humans, but microbes, other organisms in the environment, and solely target the pest that we're trying to uh, get rid of or to, to manage. Uh, and also a pesticide that would be perfect is something that's not going to have any long-term environmental consequences. Obviously, that's far from uh, a reality and that would be an absolute unicorn. Pesticides do get a bad rap. I think even the word pesticide or herbicide just seems to conjure up a, a dirty sort of world. But before we get into the weeds of why pesticides uh, are harmful and why we need to reduce them, they are really, really important. And I think without agro uh, petrochemicals, we would have famines. We have crop diseases that affect human health at scale. The green revolution was incredible, but there does need to be a balance uh, between everything. I'll give you an example um, for which there isn't a pesticide, but in tomatoes, there is uh, uh, th- there are a number of different um, uh, issues, including viroid. So a viroid uh, is the smallest known pathogen uh, of plants and it consists of a single strand of RNA. If you think about your DNA, it's a double helix. RNA is just a single strand of uh, your, your, uh, genes. And four viroids have been uh, isolated in the UK that pose a significant threat to tomato production. 
Uh, I'll give you an example. So potato spindle tuber viroid, also known as PST small VD, it's probably the most well-known of all the different viroids in the farming community. It's got worldwide distribution. It's been found in, uh, outbreaks have been found in the UK, uh, Germany, Netherlands that are responsible for huge amounts of uh, production of food globally uh, in greenhouses. And at the moment, there isn't a way in which to rid uh, uh, a greenhouse of an infection with this particular virus. It involves hygiene, hand washing, completely disinfecting every area, having to move to a new facility. Like It's almost like the COVID of tomatoes that exists in many different forms for which there is no vaccine, no treatment whatsoever. And you could argue that this is the result of overuse of pesticides, monocultures, inorganic farming practices um, that has led to this susceptibility. Um, but I just wanted to give you a flavor of what could potentially happen without the use of any sort of control measure or any sort of pesticide, uh, because I think there is this incorrect idea that you don't need pesticides at all. Uh, and it would just it's just all a, a big money-making scheme. I think there is certainly uh, a, a huge amount of use for different uh, sorts of pesticides uh, in controlling um, uh, issues like this that could wipe out massive uh, uh, swathes of, of crops for, for human, at uh, 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 the detriment of uh, human health as well. So before we go into pesticides, I just want you to understand that pesticides do have a use. It's the overuse of them and the lack of uh, uh, other ways of farming and the over-reliance on them that I think has got us to a situation where we're finding pesticide residues in almost all our foods. Okay, now you know what pesticides are, the different types of pesticides uh, that we have out there. What is organic? Organic is a type of farming that actively lowers the use of pesticides. And it does this via crop rotation, plowing, uh, other management techniques, including the use of uh, things like aphid-eating insects. That's where you release certain types of uh, in insects into um, uh, by, by surrounding hedges, and that actually uh, controls the, the pest that you're trying to uh, uh, manage. There's even this concept of introducing parasitic pests, uh, uh, parasitic uh, wasps, uh, where they actually lay their eggs in the aphids, and then a few days later they emerge and they eat the aphid. I mean, it sounds like alien, but um, it, it is pretty crazy what what people can do with organic farming practices. There is this idea that organic has no use of pesticides whatsoever. That's incorrect. It's a way of lowering the use of pesticides, and there are some approved pesticides uh, that organic farms uh, can can use. Most organic farmers use integrated pest management to control pests and diseases. So that's a system that works with nature rather than you know, the over-reliance on agropetrochemicals. And it means that they're using less pesticides, less regularly, and they don't have to rely on them as well. Uh, I mentioned that there are some approved pesticides that uh, are used in organic farming. There's around 15 uh, in the UK um, that are approved as opposed to over 450, I think it's close to 500 
uh, f conventional farming approved pesticides in the EU database as well. There are going to be some issues as we move, but this is for the UK listeners uh, and viewers, uh, there are going to be some issues when we move away from the EU because we're not going to be protected by similar laws. That's a whole wider discussion. Some of the pesticides that are approved for use uh, include pyrothyroids, uh, pheromones, deltamethrin, but these are only a, a, a allowed to be used in insect traps. So you can't have uh, spraying of entire crops uh, with these um, uh, with these chemicals. It has to be used in specific measured ways, and there also has to be an application. Uh, to the organic board, or the, I think it's called the OTB, um, before they can even use um, uh, these kind of uh, chemicals. So th th there is a, a lot more restriction on the use of any pesticides. There are some other uh, more natural sounding uh, uh, pesticides, things like spearmint oil, citronella. I remember using citronella spray actually as a mosquito repellent. Doesn't work as well as DEET, but obviously has less consequences. Uh, quartz sand. Um, and a few other minerals that are safe for human consumption and therefore are generally regarded as safe, those are approved also within organic farming practices. So now you know what a pesticide is, you also know what organic practices is. How organic is organic? Um, I think there are, there's been a, a, a large amount of um, myth spreading around, well, organic's not really worth it because it's still contaminated. That is true. There are pesticides in soil, as well as pesticides that were banned decades ago that we still find in our food. And that's the main reason why they were banned because um, they're so persistent in our environment. Um, and there is cross-contamination from non-organic farms to uh, organic farming uh, in, in agriculture, um, as well as persistence in the environment. But that doesn't uh, mean that organic is completely worthless because the residues as evidenced by some data that I'll refer to a little bit later in the podcast is that it's much, much lower in terms of the number of residues that you find in organic uh, foods. The other thing is there are there is no transparent information about these pesticide residues that you find on organic uh, products in supermarkets, which I think is something that needs to change. Although it wouldn't be a very good marketing uh, technique because I think if people saw the conventional products had pesticide residues, the organic products have pesticide residues, you might think, well, there's no point. I'm just gonna go for the conventional cheaper option. But actually, as we'll get into a little bit later, it's much, much reduced. So I definitely think it is, it is worth it. Um, a study of uh, soil in 11 European countries found UK sites had the second highest diversity of pesticide residues. So regardless of the, the uh, organic um, label, you are going to get pesticide residues in. And that's just a fact of our environment that's, that's polluted with these um, chemicals, unfortunately. But it is, I just want to underline, Whilst organic isn't 100% free, it is vastly, vastly reduced. Now we know about organic, we know about the issues around uh, organic products and not being 100% clean, um, and we know what pesticides are. What is the evidence that pesticides are harmful? And I think this comes down to the devil being in the dose, really. Before we get into what is quite a scary subject, I want you to remember and remind yourselves that you are an absolute detoxifying machine. You have liver, 
kidneys, you have sweat glands, you have your digestive tract. And I, I always use this quite glib example of how detoxifying we are by uh, using the example of a smoker that's been a lifelong smoker, let's say 40, 50 years, they've been ingesting a known carcinogen, a type one carcinogen 20 times a day. And it might take decades before they get a diagnosis of lung cancer, skin cancer, uh, cardiovascular uh, disease, vascular disease. It may never even happen. It might happen earlier than that, but it just it just point, paints a very, very clear picture of just how incredible we are at removing these carcinogens, removing these pollutants from our body. That isn't to, to, to say that you can have as many chemicals as possible. We definitely need to reduce our, our body burden. I'll talk about what uh, body burden is in a second, but just remind yourself just how incredible we are at detoxifying ourselves uh, from from known carcinogens, known pollutants in our environment. We are amazing. That being said, the evidence that pesticides are harmful, everything is a bit unclear. It can be difficult to gauge the full burden of pesticide residue impacts on human health because toxicological data is missing for a lot of these active compounds in that there aren't I mean, given the number of different uh, compounds there are today and how many there have been in the past, the evidence and the studies looking at them individually is lacking. The metabolites of these pesticides, again, is lacking in, in terms of looking at what the metabolites of these pesticides could potentially do to us in terms of harm. Um, pesticide cocktails or the mixtures of these different pesticides haven't been properly assessed. This makes it quite difficult to reliably predict their protracted health impacts over time, as it is for consumer products as well, which is why, you know, and I'm, a, I'm in agreement with this move to more clean consumer products for the same reasons, because we don't have the evidence around um, the potential, potential negative impacts of these. Okay. Studies also have methodologic problems as well. So exposure misclassification, inadequate exposure assessments, uh, these cause mixed results. There's recall bias um, in you know, retrospective case control studies. Um, so this is all to say that the long-term impacts of pesticides is unclear, but the general trend is toward negative uh, uh, health outcomes. And there are several um, positive associations that we see with long-term pesticide uh, exposure as well as acute pesticide uh, exposure. So I won't go into too much detail around the acute pesticide exposures from, say, workers who are literally spraying or involved in uh, agriculture who have a, acute exposure because I don't think that paints a clear picture for consumers of products with pesticide residues when it's far removed from the actual um, uh, farms where they, these have been produced. Um, but the long-time pesticide exposure appears to demonstrate links with neurologic and metabolic health consequences, autoimmune conditions, gut biome disturbances, infertility, and yes, an increase in certain cancers as well. You've heard me talk to Professor uh, Shanna Swan on the podcast 
about the fertility effects of plastics. Uh, and we also talked about pesticides um, there as well. So, you know, there's, there's a whole combination effect here. There's, this is why I started with um, uh, the, the point about how detoxifying we are as, as in our human bodies. But there is a cocktail of all these different chemicals that we're being exposed to on a daily basis. Um, one thing I thought would be useful is to look at some of the biggest consumers in the world uh, of pesticides. Um, and I came across a, a study uh, that was published in Frontiers in Public Health in 2022. And they looked at uh, one of the biggest consumers of um, pesticides uh, in the world, which is Brazil. And Brazil, 80% of the, I mean, Brazil has a particular problem. Um, and it, it, it's, I just want to go through a couple of the points. 80% um, of pesticides that are authorized for use in their country are not allowed in at least three countries of the OECD uh, European community. So they've got a, a, a much higher tolerance for the health effects of pesticides, their government does anyway. Um, it's estimated, and I'm not too sure how they did this estimation because the actual original papers are in Spanish, so you're going to have to forgive me. Uh, but they estimated that each Brazilian consumes an average of seven liters of pesticides per year. Um, there are many uh, acute and chronic poisonings uh, per annum, uh, 70,000. Um, I mean, Brazil has a huge population, but 70,000 is still a huge number. Um, they export, and this is very pertinent to, to UK listeners as well, they export most of their products to China and US. Um, so whilst they might have lax regulations uh, that are more lax than other countries, they still export a lot of their products to other countries uh, that might have tighter regulations, although the US does not. The biggest global consumers of pesticides, as you would imagine, US, China, Brazil, Argentina, Ukraine, uh, Canada, UK is number 25. Um, so we're still big global consumers of pesticides in the grand scheme of things, but nowhere near as much as China, US, and Brazil. They're the top three. A lot of these studies uh, in this systemic review um, from Brazil were in Spanish, so I can't corroborate and thoroughly scrutinize, uh, but there are a number of epidemiological studies that demonstrate associations between uh, biomarkers of endocrine alterations. So this can be thyroid conditions, uh, it could be um, metabolic health uh, issues and contamination with organochlorine pesticides in polluted areas. They obviously have a, a huge correlation with mortality rates from congenital malformations in the under one year group. So this is a group along with pregnant uh, women who uh, are uniquely susceptible to pesticides um, because of the uh, the growth of uh, and, and neural development um, uh, during that that time of um, uh, d development. So uh, that's particularly worrying. And I think that might be something to bookmark for any uh, people listening to this um, who think about getting pregnant or who are pregnant or have uh, young children to opt for organic products that might be a person or opt for more organic products. That might be a pertinent decision to make considering these associations. I do want to heighten that these are associations and causation hasn't been fully elucidated, but I'm, I'm on the side of uh, the, the precautionary principle. Um, and overall, all articles in this topic have found that increased exposure to pesticides is related um, to uh, uh, central nervous system damage as well. 
They also discuss the occurrence of cancer as a result of exposure to pesticides. Um, they did obtain a significant sample of over 12 million Brazilians from different areas of the country as well and declared that consistent association uh, with greater exposure to pesticides and more cancers, although it's very loose and again, it's observational. So let's talk about uh, what the limitations of this might be. Y you could argue that using Brazilian data uh, and, and trying to uh, compare this to us is not comparing apples to apples, completely different nation, much bigger consumers of pesticides. And I agree they have vastly different exposures and much more pesticides in their supply chain. But we still import plenty of food from other countries, including the US and, and China and India. I think with Brexit, that's uh, only going to get uh, more um, as we need to harness and um, nurture uh, trade ties with other countries to secure supply. We know what's going on with the, the war right now in uh, Eastern Europe. Um, our food supply is still contaminated with DDT, and that was banned decades ago. We still find uh, DDT uh, contaminated samples. And, and this has been shown in the report that I'll go into in a little bit more detail a little bit later uh, by the PRIF. So the PRIF or a, a government organization stands for Pesticide Residues in Food. Um, and there are a committee uh, that look at uh, pesticide residues on an annual or quarterly basis. And they, they produce these annual reports and they have clearly uh, discussed as recently as two years ago in, their, or in the latest annual report uh, that DDT, which is banned, it's an organochloride uh, and it was banned because it is persistent in the environment. It lasts over a hundred years. It concentrates in the fatty tissues of mammals like birds and fish. Um, it can remain, you know, for yeah decades. Um, we're still uh, dealing with DDT in, in our uh, country. So the exposure to countries, even though they're far removed from us, it's still going to be um, affecting us as well. This is a global issue. It's not just something that we can wall ourselves off from uh, here in the UK. Um, glyphosate um, is something that is probably the most contentious pesticide uh, in the world. Um, it's one of the most common common active ingredients that are used. Um, it's a it's a herbicide. Um, it's marketed as Roundup by Monsanto. Um, it's been phased out in France, uh, but actually in the UK, it's increased uh, and the use of the of its increases um, uh, by around 400% in the last 20 years. So yes, Brazil has its own issues. We also have our own issues as well. Um, and that's why I think it's still pertinent for us to look at these far removed countries, even though they're much bigger consumers, because in the in the absence of rock solid evidence, I think we need to weigh up the potential harms uh, and the potential benefits um, of exposure to these products. And so using the precautionary principle alone, I think moving to a more organic farming system is a pretty reasonable approach. Um, so this isn't a scaremonger. I think this warrants a pragmatic um, full-on discussion. I'd love to speak to someone from uh, PRIF as well about this in a bit more detail as they're, they're closer to the data on this. Um, but I think organic farming systems as uh, the point of, uh, the, uh, as the, the goal is a, is a reasonable approach. And, you know, we still don't have a clear idea of the compounding effect, um, also uh, referred to as the cocktail effect uh, of these different pesticides. So 
I'd, I'd feel safer to assume, and I'd be happy to be incorrect in the future, but I'd feel safer to assume that these are not healthy and we should be um, reducing uh, our exposure to them. And that leads me to the next question. So we've talked about pesticides, we've talked about organic, we've talked about uh, some of the evidence that it, it is not safe. Um, what is the evidence on the other hand that eating organic is helpful uh, or or even healthful. Um, so looking at a meta-analysis that was published in the British Journal of Nutrition, they uh, reviewed 343 peer-reviewed publications and found that the concentrations of something that we talk about a lot on the uh, podcast, polyphen- polyphenols, um, which are uh, micronutrients that you find concentrated in fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds. Um, we know that gives uh, their healthful properties because um, they're anti-inflammatory, they have antioxidant benefits, um, they can activate your immune system, they're healthful for your microbes. There's a whole plethora of benefits that we always talk about on the on the podcast here. But they found that the concentrations of these different micronutrients uh, were substantially higher in organic crops versus conventionally based crops. And the reason why is because your polyphenols, um, these uh, the, these phytochemicals, that were, the, the umbrella term is phytochemical, um, so uh, also known as um, uh, uh, phytonutrients. Um, th- these, these phytochemicals are the crop defense system. Uh, so when a crop uh, is growing in the wild, uh, to protect itself from insects, from the uh, the pests that we currently spray uh, them with at the moment, they develop the production of these different chemicals to to veer them off, to to essentially um, poison them and kill them um, uh, before they eat the, the their entire body. Uh, let's say um, so. The more uh, they have to endure uh, uh, hard weather insects, um, all the different issues that you'd find in the wild, they have to develop more of these different phytonutrients. These phytonutrients, although they are natural insecticides, are actually healthful for us in the right quantities, which is why, you know, if you overeat something like kale or spinach, you're probably going to get too many of these different uh, products and you don't want to be over-consuming, even though it's very, very hard to. But in the right doses, it is a mild stressor to our own body that actually leads to a beneficial outcome. The analogy I always use for this is like exercise. If you exercise your muscles and you you did a snapshot of your muscles in that short period of time, you'll see all the muscle fibers that are sheared, torn, there's inflammation everywhere. You think this is a very unhealthful activity, but over time, the repairing effect of those leads to hypertrophy, better resilience of those muscle fibers, a stronger muscle fiber, that net benefit is, uh, that that is a net benefit over the long term. Sort of the same thing with uh, polyphenols. When you're consuming them, there's a mild stressor, actually leads to uh, something uh, called the uh, ARE. So it's uh, uh, the the antioxidant, uh, I think it's the antioxidant regeneration effect. Um, so it basically dev- it improves your, uh, your tolerance of these um, chemicals and, and leads to a net beneficial outcome. Um, it activates your natural antioxidant system. That's essentially what it does. So with this in mind, 
if you are putting crops in an unnatural environment, you're uh, giving them hydroponics where they have all the nutrients that they need. You're giving them the right temperatures. You're spraying them with uh, pesticides so they don't need to develop these uh, different chemicals. You can understand why they don't need to produce as many and why in conventional products, they're much lower than inorganic products. So that there's the, the sort of simple reasoning as to why we find that using the statistics, they, they found uh, a 20 to 40% increase in phytochemicals in organic foods rather than, uh, versus uh, conventional foods. On balance, now I, I've said all these things and I would love to believe that because of the increase in polyphenols, this leads to uh, a better health effect of organic products. But I don't think that there is today convincing evidence that you will be healthier on an organic diet. I think the idea that because polyphenols are 30 to 40% higher in organic produce, they're therefore healthier for you, doesn't have much uh, evidence for. I'd love to believe it does. Um, and it stands to reason, but there's nothing to stand for other than the loose association and observational studies, uh, which have plenty of co-founder, uh, uh, confounders like um, their healthy user bias, for example. So there are some studies that show, okay, those who have organic products in their diet or more organic products have a lower risk of cancer, but you know it's very hard to disentangle the person who uh, opts for organic products uh, it's most likely going to be quite a health conscious consumer who will exercise, who go to sleep on time, uh, who might have a country home and they go there every weekend. They have much lower stress levels. Uh, they generally are more affluent. I don't know someone who is struggling to meet the bills every week opting for organic products. I think that's uh, very unlikely. So there's so, so many different confounders. And even though there are quite big effects that we see in these observational studies, uh, it's very, very hard to prove out even though I'd like to to, to believe that. Um, the, the, the organic uh, movement does have benefits outside of um, the potential increase in, in polyphenols that I think are still worth it as well. Um, so it, it, even though what I've said doesn't, it's probably not convincing for you to, to buy organic today, um, I, I think, I still think there are reasons to buy organic. One of them is we get to vote with how we uh, pay for things in the supermarket, for what we want to see in the future for our children, for uh, the planet. And organic farms are essentially havens for wildlife. Um, because of the way they use crop rotation systems and natural um, uh, insects, uh, aphidid eating insects, they essentially grow hedges around them. They, uh, that's a, a haven, not just for the uh, insects that will help uh, the organic farm, but other insects as well and the general um, uh, environment um, for, for other uh, bees and, and ants and, and all these other uh, critters that uh, provide a lot of nutrition for the soil as well. Um, they're also protective against uh, birds and, and butterflies and bees of which many pesticides are uh, detrimental to. Um, and actually, uh, there is some evidence to show that plant, insects, and bird life is 50% more abundant uh, on organic farms. And it stands to reason because of the harshness of pesticides on these uh, communities of organisms as well. I think the 
Third thing, so you know, if you if you're convinced by the polyphenol argument and you want to consume organic for that reason, that's totally fine. All I'm saying is that there is not too much evidence for. Number two, the environmental impact. If you're an environmentalist, I think we're all moving in that direction and you want to see that, great. You know, organic's definitely the way forward. I think the third most convincing uh, argument is body burden. Um, and your body burden is likely to be lower. Uh, what is body burden? So for context, your, your body burden um, or the body burden of chemicals uh, refers to the cumulative impact of various synthetic chemicals that include heavy metals, uh, toxic substances that can be found in the human body and it can be uh, concentrated in bloodstream, fat most likely um, at any time that's acquired from your environment. So that could be pollutants from cars, uh, the microparticles that we find from combustion. Um, it could be from personal care products. Uh, it could be from water. Um, it could be from, oh, and obviously from food as well. So th if you're uh, reducing your the pesticide residues, and I, I hasten to, word, to use the word reduce, if you're reducing your load of pesticides by going organic, your body burden is likely to be lower and therefore the risks to health are potentially lower as well. So I, I think uh, the organic sort of argument really goes down to how risk tolerant we are um, to pesticides. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, precautionary principle. Uh, I just want to underline the fact that that is uh, probably the best argument, I would say, for going organic. Um, if, if we are you know, uh, individualists here and we just really care about ourselves and not really in the environment and everything else, reducing your body burden, uh, that's likely to be lower. And there are some studies that show that uh, as well. So by now you should have a, a general understanding of, of, of everything. Pesticides, organic, how organic is organic, what the, uh, the potential benefits of organic are, what the evidence for pesticides harms are. Let's talk about practical tips. I think, you know, this is all super scary. Um, remind yourself that you're a detoxifying machine. What is the number one practical tip uh, for, for me to say? I would say diversity on your plate is the number one priority because that improves your digestive system, it reduces inflammation, it has all the health benefits. And we know that in those studies that we look at in terms of collection of uh, ingredients, um, largely uh, plant-based diet, lots of uh, variety, those are where we see the associations with health benefits. It does not discriminate between organic and inorganic at the moment, but I would say that's probably the most convincing arguments I have for nutrition. So always think about your nutrition, what you're putting in your plate first, rather than uh, the, the criteria of those individual whole unprocessed foods. A whole unprocessed, diverse, colorful diet is your number one goal. Number two, let's get into the details of, okay, I've done that, tick, 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 I exercise, I uh, sleep really well, I try and reduce my stress, I get a diverse diet, these are all things. I wanna take my health to the next level, I wanna be a lot more pragmatic. Going back to the expert uh, committee on pesticide residues in food, PRIF, um, they are appointed by DEFRA in the UK, um, the Department for Environment, uh, Food and Rural Affairs, 
There is a similar organization in the States that is approved, I believe, by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And these guys uh, over here in the UK, PRIF, are entirely made up of independent members with a wide range of expertise. I've looked at their um, uh, contributors list and there are a number of scientists, people with masters in public health, people uh, with a politics background, like all uh, farmers, like all, all sort of like huge range of, of expertise. And they advise on pesticide residues in uh, a food monitoring program because quarterly they do a basket of goods and uh, they use the most up-to-date lab testing uh, means that they're completely transparent about. Um, and you can find their reports. Uh, I've linked them in the show notes as all the um, uh, the data and the stats that I'm using in today's episode on the doctorskitchen.com uh, website. You can go check it out there. You can download them yourself from the gov.uk website. Um, and uh, their quarterly re- uh, results are, uh, uh, reports are really comprehensive. Um, so for example, uh, just to give you an example of the 11th report, which was done in 2021, it, there's a little bit of a lag between them and that will come down to my limitations at the bottom of this podcast episode. Um, in 2021, they reviewed 3,500 samples of food and drink available in the UK supply chain. And they were tested, uh, for pesticide residues and they did almost 400 different pesticides that they tested for as well. So what everyone's probably wondering uh, is, okay, what are the the top uh, fruit and veg to buy organic in the UK? Um, So their latest list, uh, and this is done by the number of ingredients that had multiple residues on in, in the UK. Number one, topping the list was grapefruit. Grapes was number two. Banana. Berries and small fruits. They didn't specify exactly which small fruits, but they said berries and small fruits. Peppers, raspberries, spring greens, and kale. So you're seeing a bit of a pattern here. It's citrus, and there's exotic fruits, bananas, berries um, that tend to be sprayed, and you know strawberries are, are a big contender for that as well. Uh, peppers can't really explain, and then spring greens and kale. Um, so that. That there is a bit of a pattern there, but and uh, the the way this list has been compiled um, looks specifically at multiple residues. So they they look at every single ingredient. They look at uh, the amount of pesticides, the number of uh, pesticides found, the uh, number of multiple residues found in that. So if they had more than one different pesticide that they found evidence of. Um, and then they also look at the number of times they tested and they found that the pesticide residue was above the minimum required level. So there's a, a minimum upper limit that is permitted for pesticide residues on these products. This is purely looking at the top offenders for those who had multiple residues on an individual ingredient. If you look at another way is looking at the ingredients that perhaps that perhaps have less occurrence of multiple residues, but more instances where the residues are beyond that minimum required limit. And if you look at the case of 2021, which is the latest data that we have for, it's a very different picture. And I'll go through those. Number one, beans with pods. Number two, okra. Number three, herbs. It just says herbs. It doesn't specify which herbs, whether it was dill, parsley, coriander, doesn't say. And remember, this is the minimum required 
uh, limit, a number of times that this exceeded the minimum required limit. So it might just have one pesticide, but it might be a quite high amount. Number four, pumpkin and squash. Number five, peas with pods. Six, kiwi. Seven, dried beans. Eight, rice. We're going to rice in a bit. So very different uh, way of, of looking at the same data set. You can classify them as those who had multiple residues on. So you could argue that there's a cocktail effect going on there. I'm more, I'm more worried about that. Um, or you could look at, okay, well, there's no cocktail effect going on, but the pesticide residues are super high in these individual ingredients. So you might want to opt for ones that, and there, there is a bit of a pattern there as well, I would say. Uh, okra, uh, pumpkin, um, beans with pods, dry beans, kiwi tend to be grown outside. Uh, of the UK. So you might find that the uh, restrictions on pesticide use might be uh, a little bit more lax uh, in the countries that are growing these or the greenhouses or wherever they might be. Um, so that's just something to be aware of. We'll go into a little bit more detail uh, in, in grains in a second. In the US, this list is compiled by the EWG, the Environmental Working Group. Uh, in the UK, you can find this from a group called PAN, PAN UK. Um, and they uh, basically go through the data that you find on PRIF. This is PRIF and PAN, two separate organizations. And they essentially create lists based on the data that is quite hard to read in the government website. They make it a lot more accessible. They, I think, are donation funded. I'm not too sure if they're a charity uh, or whether they're registered. I'd love to speak to them as well, actually. Um, they uh, uh, they compile the list for you uh, and they, they also campaign for lower pesticide residues and lower pesticide use in general in uh, in farming in the Euro in Europe globally, but also they've got a UK division as well. So the list for American users, um, you can find this on the EWG website. They use the information from the USDA and the FDA and the most recent top five contaminated foods, strawberries, number one, two, spinach, Number three, kale, collard, mustard greens. Number four, peaches. Number five, pears. So again, you can see there's a bit of a pattern there. It's mainly um, uh, fruit and veg. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's definitely problematic. And if you look through those lists, you can find the full list on the PAN website or the EWG website. You can say, well, I tend to eat a lot of peaches or I tend to eat a lot of berries. I'm going to opt for organic. And I'm going to give you, give you some practical tips in a minute about how you can choose organic and what things to look out for as well. Grains. Now, I haven't mentioned grains apart from in the bottom of one of those lists. Um, oats is a bit of an issue. Uh, and I tend to have oats a couple of times a week, I would say. Love my oats. Uh, I go for organic uh, many, many times for this reason. I also mix up my oats as well. So I don't just have a big bowl of oats on their own because I think it can spike your glucose quite considerably. I always have it with uh, cacao powder, I have it with uh, nuts, seeds, maybe a peanut butter, uh, maybe a protein powder. You can get a, like a hemp, hemp seed-based protein powder. I just tend to use hemp seeds sometimes. You know, to mix it up, to add a little bit more fiber, a bit of diversity, doesn't spike my glucose level near as much as just a bowl of oats in the room. But oats are a bit of an issue. Uh, in 2019, 94% of oats, 94% contain residues of more than one pesticide. That was from uh, the, um, uh, the PRIF data set. Um, and the, the reason why is because it's sprayed 
before harvest to artificially dry these crops. Uh, it makes harvesting easier. That's the, the main reason. Um, and, and reduces competition from uh, other pests like weeds and, and grasses and that kind of stuff. Um, so glyphosate and chlormaquat residues were found in all grain produce tested in both 2018 and 2019. Um, and it's a, it's a big issue w with oats as well. Um, and like I said earlier, uh, glyphosate in the UK, I always used to think that glyphosate wasn't an issue as much in the UK. It's more of a US problem. It has risen, the use of glyphosate has risen by 16% between 2016 and 2020. Uh, and the proportion of bread containing two or more pesticides has doubled in the past year to 50% as well. So in terms of grains, it's not looking great. Uh, oats, rice, I'll get to a study about rice in a second, and uh, bread uh, are things that I would seriously consider going all organic for, uh, considering the number of pesticides used in it and probably the amount that we consume as well um, in, in this country and, and beyond as well. Um, going into rice, there was a 2017 study in France that found that children who consume greater amounts of pasta, rice, semolina, breakfast cereals, whole grain bread had high levels of these metabolites of uh, a particularly nasty pesticide in their urine compared to those who consume less of those foods. So that isn't to say that you should never eat grain at all, but maybe if it's a more of a staple in your household, it might be something that you want to mitigate um, because the, there are clear issues uh, with that. So if you eat a lot of one particular staple, let's say you're a prolific uh, granola eater or whatever you might be, you might want to consider going organic for that uh, ingredient or diversifying as well. So maybe instead of having all of that every single Monday to Friday, you want to diversify and have less of that and uh, and go for something a little bit more um, colorful or diverse or something that doesn't rely on you having the granola every single day it's a lot to get your head around but i'll go into some more more even more practical solutions in a bit uh i haven't talked about animal products um i i always go organic with animal products probably more so for the ethical uh um reasons um the constant the, the concentrates of these pesticides can be found in the fat um they they probably in terms of conventional produce uh they probably use imported uh grains and conventionally uh created grains with tons of pesticides um in their feed so it stands to reason that you know if we're eating uh, pesticide residues in our food and we can find it in our urine and our fat cells it's definitely going to be found in the animals that we consume as well um and these grains are probably imported um, from, from countries with far worse practices. Um, although saying that, most of the residues found by uh, PRIF, the, um, the, uh, the, the group in the UK, um, the residues were those that were found in the preparation of meats rather than the um, uh, use in agriculture. So I could be wrong about that. But again, I just tend to err on the side of uh, the precautionary principle. Um, interestingly, there is no minimum required limit for pesticide residues found in fish. And fish, and I'm saying this as a current pescatarian, I, I no longer eat um, uh, chicken, uh, beef, and, and other uh, animal products. I 
tend to exclusively eat fish at the moment. Fish appears to have the most uh, cocktail of different uh, pesticide residues, probably because we're polluting the water so much, and, and that is literally their environment. Um, and where you tend to find these um, fish are going to be, you know, in areas where there's going to be a lot of um, shipping materials and dumping of rubbish and, and all the rest of it. So it's a horrible thing to think about. But yeah, it's um, fish. Fish have the most uh, in terms of the, the, the cocktail of residues that find them. And strangely enough, no minimum required limit. Um, so yeah, it's uh, one of the, it's all looking pretty grim uh, at the moment. So let me, let me, let me go through some solutions and I just want to acknowledge the fact that, um, I am very aware that we're going through a cost of living crisis. Uh, this is, uh, coming from a, a place of personal privilege where I can, uh, afford to opt for, um, organic produce where possible to feed, uh, myself and my family. Um, and this is an option that not everyone has access to. Um, so for your information, this can be quite scary, but, um, here are some practical tips and I I don't go hundred percent organic all the time. I'll be honest about that because a it's impossible when you're consuming food outside at a restaurant, you know, there is no way in which you can tell whether, unless you're really going to be bugging the chef or the maitre d' or wherever you might be. Um, about where they got their products from and whether they're organic or not. If they were organic, they'd probably be putting it on the menu. Um, but it, it's going to be impossible for you to avoid pesticides at all costs, even if you eat organic uh, 100% of the time. So just bear that in mind. I go organic where I can, uh, and I tend to focus on the staples. So things like grains, oats, animal products, fish. Well, fish, you can't really go organic, but um, that's that's ten, that tends to be where I go organic and where you should be thinking about going organic yourself. Um, buy frozen. So frozen food, hopefully most people have come around to the idea, and I've talked about it in a previous uh, budget podcast, about uh, how the nutrient value of a lot of these different products are actually higher in frozen products because there's less handling, they're frozen at source, flash frozen at source. They're distributed, they're shelf stable. They can taste delicious. The texture is obviously not going to be as great if we're comparing like a frozen strawberry with a fresh strawberry, of course. But the way you can use that fresh strawberry in a granita, uh, in in a smoothie, in a dessert, you know, you, you can make it your own. So buy frozen organic. It is a really, really good hack. It's far cheaper. It ensures that you're going to get a really good quality product. And if you're having lots of berries, for example, and you can't afford the organic fresh stuff because the conventional fresh stuff is pretty expensive anyway, go organic. Uh, and, you know, every now and then, if you want to splurge and you want to have some fresh strawberries and, you, you know, the organic one is eight pounds and the conventional one is three, um, just just go for what you can afford and enjoy it. But just be aware that if you're going to be consuming it on a weekly basis, you might want to go organic if you're a big consumer of those. So frozen organic, really good tip. Number two, canned organic. So canned and jarred foods like beans. Uh, you can even get like things like artichokes, uh, cacioffi uh, in, in uh, what they call it in Italy. Uh, you can get these like amazing um, uh, puntarelli, which are these, um, uh, it's like from the Brasco family. They usually preserve them in olive oil. You can find those organic and they're often very, very cheap as well. So the organic beans might be one pound 10, 
The conventional beans might be 70 or 80p. You can get it cheaper than that as well if you look for the budget ranges. But generally organic is around that uh, price point. And I tend to go organic because as we saw, beans with pods and dried beans tend to be quite polluted because we tend to get them from countries um, where uh, they have much laxer uh, pesticide practices. We talk about this every Sunday um, in our seasonal Sundays newsletter that you can find in the link uh, if you're watching this in YouTube or in the podcast. Every Sunday we do a deep dive into an ingredient. We talk about the history of it, the cultural relevance of it, uh, the the crop practices, like how to use it and recipes that you can find on the Doctor's Kitchen app. Um, again, which you can find in the link down below. Farmer's markets. We always call out farmer's markets that you can find in the UK. A great way of going, having a direct conversation with your grower, a direct conversation with a biodynamic farm or an organic farm and asking them about like, why is it so much more expensive? What is their margin? How difficult it is to grow organic? Uh, and why there is that excess price point, you can begin to really, really put a value on food that I think the supermarkets have devalued because we're so used to having cheap produce. Nothing you get supermarkets because they've done a fantastic job of driving down the price, but we have to look at the cost trade-off of that. And the trade-off appears to be body burden uh, with the overuse of pesticides. So definitely speak to farmers markets. You may be able to find some bargains if you're looking for cheap seasonal ingredients. They tend to be cheaper when they're in season. So definitely go and have a, a conversation with them. Another tip, grow your own herbs. We found uh, that herbs tend to have the higher amounts of pesticides uh, beyond the minimum required level. Rather than a mixture of uh, pesticides, they tend to have higher amount of the min uh, above the minimum required limit. Um, so grow your own. You can grow your own, you can grab seeds, you can grab organic seeds. Uh, grow them in, in any place. There's a whole bunch of like farming, uh, uh, sorry, home uh, growing videos that you can find. I'm no good at growing my own herbs, but I'm definitely going to get into it now that I know about green herbs. Um, so try those. Lots uh, of organic fruit and veg boxes. The way they make uh, their margin is because they don't give you choice. So you sacrifice choice for organic produce that is tends to be in season which i think is actually a fair trade-off because uh, they need to ensure that they uh, don't have any waste they have a steady um, demand uh, and they can satisfy um, their their their, their uh, produce supply uh, with, um, with with consumers so i think that's a really good trade-off to have uh, ensure you've got organic uh, foods i don't have any affiliation with any uh, boxes like Riverford, Abel & Cole in the UK, there's probably loads in the US as well that will deliver ingredients straight to your door. So I think that's a fantastic trade-off. So, you know, oh, and, and another call out as well, grains and pulses. So grains and pulses, you can definitely buy dried organic. Um, and if you buy dried, yes, you have to process it yourself through boiling, steaming, all the rest of it. Um, but you get a much cheaper product. And again, no affiliation with Hodmedods in the UK. But they do a whole range of different uh, uh, grains. Um, they even do things like quinoa. They do things like um, uh, corn. Uh, they've got uh, oats, I believe, all organic. Uh, they've got a great story about their farm. I would support growers like that uh, because they're doing a great job for not only the environment and the soil, but for the organic message at large. And let's not forget, if you can afford to go organic now and you choose to, this, like I was saying earlier, when you go to the supermarket and you 
purchase organic products, you are voting with your pounds. You can vote with your dollar by choosing the produce in the supermarket and that will drive down the price of organic as it increases the supply. So that's what I'm going to say. So those are my very quick tips. Go organic where you can, focus on your staples, buy frozen, buy canned organic, check out farmer's markets, number four, grow your own herbs, number five, check out fruit and veg organic boxes, number six, number seven, a bonus, grains and pulses you can buy online and uh, support companies like Hobmadoves that are doing a great job at improving uh, the organic message as well. I always get asked about peeling and otherwise known as household processing. Now, there was a really interesting article in Toxicology Reports uh, from 2022, I believe, uh, maybe earlier than that. Um, and they were looking at this question. If I peel my vegetables, does it reduce the pesticide residues? What about if I blanch it? What about if I scrub it in vinegar or scrub it in like uh, water with a good brush? Really, really good questions. They tried to answer this, but obviously you can't go through all 3,500 uh, ingredients that the the Prif guys do, uh, and you can't look at every single uh, of the 400 pesticides. So these guys looked at, uh, which I think is a fair uh, collection of ingredients. They looked at pears, apples, peaches, greens, tomatoes, and they looked at seven different um, uh, pesticides, uh, and they tried a whole bunch of different things. So washing, peeling, heating. Uh, and even canning and, and jarring as well, which is a process that is quite sophisticated where you you, you can it. Um, so they showed that acetic acid, i.e. vinegar, uh, has the potential to act as a strong collating agent that makes the residues unavailable. So if you find that the residues are on the outside, this potentially shows that you can reduce the pesticide residue of your food by spraying with a vinegar solution. It doesn't talk about specifically, or I didn't see the concentration of the vinegar that they use or the type, but acetic acid, you can de definitely find uh, online in these like fruit and veg washes, uh, but you can make your own as well. So if you are, uh, you know, having to buy conventional and you, 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 you're going to be using potatoes or whatever, just spray it with acetic acid that may reduce the pesticide residue. So that's one tip. Uh, they also found that juicing, fermenting and heating were found to be the most common and cost-effective uh, cost methods for pesticide residue dissipation. And you find that with um, various fruits and vegetables. So if you're going to be... Uh, uh, blanching, let's say, uh, your broccoli, um, uh, and it has to be over 100 degrees centigrade, so what they, they looked at, the organic compounds of the pesticides tends to break down. Um, so that, that may be a way to reduce the residues that you, you find in, in, in your products as well. Canning, which I mentioned is quite a sophisticated, elaborate process. Um, you know, you boil it, you steam it, you sterilize Um there were hardly any traces of residues that they analyzed uh, in canned apricots and peaches. Uh, and that's where they sterilize it for 121 degrees centigrade for 15 minutes, which is generally how the canning process works. So there is some positive news around uh, looking at reducing pesticide residues through doing both simple household uh, processing measures like peeling and, and steaming blanching uh, as well as what you would find in the food production process as well limitations obviously looking at only seven ingredients 
looking at only a handful of pesticide compounds. Who knows about the other compounds? But there is a bit of light in the, uh, at the end of the tunnel. Also, as you'll probably, I'll probably get a question about this, peeling for me kind of breaks my heart because we know the uh, phytochemicals tend to concentrate on the outside of uh, your your uh, ingredient because like i explained earlier when a crop is what the reason why these crops have these beneficial phytochemicals is as a protector from insects that are trying to attack them from the outside so that's why they concentrate them in the peels and that's where you get most of those polyphenols so you tend not to want to peel them and throw them away uh, so that won't be something that i'll be doing but it is something that you could do if you prefer uh, eating vegetables without the peel on as well. If you don't like the taste of butternut squash with a peel on or whatever, you can remove it. That's totally fine. You're still getting a lot of the nutrients. The other uncomfortable fact is that, yes, pesticides don't just, you don't just spray the pesticide. Um, you do it throughout the whole life cycle of the product in certain cases. It's likely that the pesticide is going to be in the flesh of the ingredient as well. Um, so um, I don't believe they, they looked at that. Um, so look, that that that's some light at the end of the tunnel that you can potentially reduce your burden even if you can't afford to switch to uh, organic produce in certain cases or completely this is this is um uh, one way in which you can reduce that okay uh, let, let's talk finally about why everything i've just said in this entire podcast could be complete bs complete rubbish and, you know, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, a, I'm not a pesticide expert, uh, like a just a doctor, nutrition masters, love to play with vegetables, love to create recipes. What do I know about uh, uh, pesticides? So uh, the, the first thing is that uh, the data changes from year to year and country to country. So the list that I talked about earlier with grapefruits at the top and berries down below, this changes from year to year, and there is quite a difference across the years. Generally, berries, grapes, small fruits, citrus, greens, those tend to be at the top of the list, but it does change from year to year. Sometimes mushrooms are up there, sometimes tomatoes, uh, and it varies from country to country as well. So that's one thing. Uh, that's a huge limitation. The most recent data, bearing that in mind, what I just said, the most recent data from the UK was published in 2022, reporting foods that were tested two years ago so the speed and the cadence of uh this wonderful group uh that is appointed by defra um is still m quite slow in terms of giving us real up-to-date uh, information about pesticide residues so there's loads of gaps um and there are loads of gaps in the actual data that they produce as well because not every single fruit and vegetable uh is in is in their um uh their, their list that they test so you know it's just a limitation of the fact that they're doing this pretty much solo um the other thing is uh grains oats were not tested in 2021 for example so we don't actually have up-to-date uh data on that um same thing for animal products not every single animal product was tested uh and there is um uh, th th there is a consideration that we need to make actually about how widely available do we make at-home testing for pesticide residues on your food. So is there a day where we can uh, swipe our apple or swipe our um, uh, grapefruit and figure out how many pesticides are on this or you know wash it in a solution, put it into an at-home container? Is that going to generate more health anxiety 
my hunch is probably yes, actually. Uh, I'm not too sure whether I would do that myself. Um, but, you know, the the, cap, the flip to that is, okay, we might not have home testing. Should food producers be um, committed to showing or using food labeling what their pesticide residue uh, stats are uh, at point of sale? Would that drive more consumer behavior toward organic? Is that something that would be beneficial to the economy or would that again drive uh, a, a further health anxiety around this topic again i'm on the fence about that i would personally want to know in the same way i love to know about my my sleep scores and my sleep data is that for everyone probably not uh, i think for a lot of people including um, uh, colleagues of mine um, having that level of information is probably a little bit too much so yeah something something again to consider um and i i think Government action is probably the the, the biggest thing that I want to see uh, as a result of this. The reason why we pay our taxes, the reason why we have these organizing bodies is to uh, fend for us, to, to keep us healthy and secure. Um, so that's really what I want to see as a result of more and more people being aware of pesticide residues, a lot more activism. And there's ways in which you can get involved by supporting people like uh, PAN UK, there's the organic trade board. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, links that I put in the show notes at thedoctorskitchen.com. Um, and uh, I, I think one other thing in terms of technology that I'd love to see is uh, at-home personal uh, testing kits to see what my current body burden is. Uh, the cocktail of pesticides, the cocktail of plastics that might be in me and measuring myself uh, six months down the line after I've made changes to see you know, what, what benefit that's had if any um again with the caveat that that could cause some health anxiety as well but personally I'd, I'd love to know that look there are loads of things that i've talked about today there are loads of practices that i think you should focus on a you are a detoxifying machine b the best evidence that we have is to diversify your plate have a uh, plant predominant diet um and uh eat uh, as as healthily as possible exercise we know sweat is one of the main ways in which we rid ourselves of pollutants uh, and uh, things like heavy metals cadmium for example sauna might actually be one way in which to uh, encourage that process as well as exercise that has those cardiovascular benefits um, by virtue of diversifying your food and having a high fiber diet you're going to be removing environmental pollutants via the digestive tract, something that we've talked about before uh, when we talked about PCOS and, and inflammatory bowel disease, um, removing the estrogen uh, effect of these environmental pollutants, minimizing our plastic uh, exposure, so not heating in plastic uh, containers, trying to use glass where possible. That, again, is one way in which we can reduce our overall body burden um, and trying to support uh, and buy organic for our staples as much as possible. So... I really hope you enjoyed this. It was meant to be a short episode, but I've gone on a, a little bit. There are so many more things that I could go on to. If you do have any questions, just holler at me at twi Twitter uh, at doctors underscore kitchen. Sign up for the Doctor's Kitchen newsletter every single week. We do seasonal Sundays. We do eat, listen, read where I share recipes and we talk about um, what you can uh, uh, eat to live a healthy uh, a healthy lifestyle to have a, a, a healthy way of living. Uh, all these things are going to compound to improve your resilience against things like pesticides uh, and um, 
uh, and all the other conditions that we talk about every single week. I really hope you enjoy this episode and I'll see you here next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. Remember, you can support the pod by rating on Apple, follow along by hitting the subscribe button on Spotify, and you can catch all of our podcasts on YouTube if you enjoy seeing our smiley faces. Review show notes on the doctorskitchen.com website and sign up to our free weekly newsletters where we do deep dives into ingredients, the latest nutrition news, and of course, lots of recipes by subscribing to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter by going to thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter. And if you're looking to take your health further, why not download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free from the App Store? I will see you here next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.